Welcome to the Two Boomer Women Podcast. I'm your host, Agnes Knowles. I've been talking to boomer women for some time now. (laughs) If I think about it, I suppose I've been talking to boomer women most of my adult life. That continues with this podcast. However, there's something else going on at Two Boomer Women these days. Manly Monday. On the last Monday of each month, I'll present an episode wherein my guest is a man. A man with a message, we might say. Today is Manly Monday. Sit back, enjoy, and let me know what you think. Welcome to the Two Boomer Women Podcast. I'm your host, Agnes Knowles. Today is Monthly Man Day, and I'm really looking forward to chatting with today's guest. Many of my guests have inspirational stories, both in their own lives or for you to take inspiration from. Today's guest had a long professional career as a psychologist with older adults facing decline and loss. Perhaps he's heard from some of our peers, but more probably those who have gone before us. He's now putting all that knowledge and insight together to help guide us into our older years. He's the founder of the Living to 100 Club and hosts the podcast by the same name. Dr. Joe Kashiani, welcome to the Two Boomer Women podcast. Thanks very much, Agnes. I'm very happy to be here. Looking forward to our conversation. I am too, very much so. I mentioned you were a psychologist. Um, I read somewhere that your career was in long-term care. Yes. Please tell us what interested you about working with the elderly and what were the issues you encountered most, the frailties that you found, often found amongst your clients? Sure. Yeah, I started working with seniors shortly after I got licensed back in the early 80s. I'm dating myself a bit, but I first was hired to work on a GRO psychiatric unit, which was an inpatient psych unit for seniors. I was there. That was with the county mental health in San Diego. I did that for a couple of years, and then I collaborated with a colleague, and we submitted a proposal to the Department of Aging to write a training manual. Well, actually, they put out a request for a proposal. So um, my colleague and I submitted, and we were awarded this contract. It was a three-year contract. So I got to really get immersed in all of the mental health issues for long-term care nursing homes. Mm-hmm. And how can we create a training manual? So we wrote the manual and we did about 36 workshops around the state over two or three years. And after that, really, I've spent my whole career with seniors. But after that contract, I I partnered with a physician and we started a group to contract with nursing homes and provide mental health services to the residents. This was right after Medicare changed their authorization, allowing psychologists to provide mental health services. Prior to that, we could not do it. So this was in um, early 80s as well. And after that, I spent 16 years with that company and we grew it and we're in eight states when I left, almost 800 nursing homes, massive uh, programs, uh, over 200 professionals working with us. And I I loved every minute of it. It was all program development and writing policies and procedures. But to answer your question, I did learn early on when I was with the county mental health program that you can't tell very much by looking at an older adult, even if they're frail, slumped over in a wheelchair, or maybe asleep. We can't tell. And, you know, that's kind of colored a lot of the perceptions that I've seen that it's so easy to stereotype the older adult. And the population I worked with in long-term care is only, you know, probably 5% of the total number of older adults, at least in the U.S. So it's easy to think of the older adult as, you know, frail and declining and helpless and dependent. But there are some like that, of course, but the vast majority are healthy and independent and living independently on their own and in their own homes. And so my thing with the Living to 100 Club is to help break down some of those barriers and those stereotypes, but also encourage the older adult to 
feel motivated to keep moving. And we all know, and I've seen plenty of individuals when they're hit with a medical diagnosis or a setback or, you know, something unpleasant, it's very easy for that person to get discouraged. And I think with the right support and nudges and boosts, we can get over those obstacles. And so that's my, that's my passion with the Living to 100 Club, helping, helping to restore that motivation when it gets blocked or when it gets kind of burned out. It's always there. We just got to make way for it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So when you were writing training manuals and um, policy procedure, were you sort of on the front line or were you creating for those people on the front line? Uh, mostly creating, mostly writing. Even as the administrator with our nursing, with our group practice, I was doing a lot of the administrative clinical, but not so much on the front lines working with patients. I did that, of course, but that was maybe 10 to 20 percent of my work day, work week. So, but later on, uh, I left that company, started my own. And as I was doing my own company here in San Diego, and we also had contracts in Texas, I was doing a lot more direct clinical services. So it kind of reconnected me with a lot of the same issues. So in terms of frail elderly, and I'm going to bring it uh, younger into the boomer section shortly, but with the frail elderly, do you find that they can still make definite leaps forward changes, adaptations that noticeably improve their life? Yes. Of course, it's, it's limited. I have to qualify that because if dementia comes into the picture, then that's a different conversation. But sometimes just that feeling of helplessness, hopelessness, sometimes it's depression, kind of resignation, that is reversible. And I have seen that time and again. I, and the more later years, I was working a lot with rehab departments. So people would come into the nursing home after a fall, maybe a broken hip or a broken shoulder, or maybe a stroke or, you know, a heart attack, and they would get into rehab. And there were some that were engaged and participated and kind of looked forward. And there were others that refused to attend. And my thing was, well, what's the, what's the difference here? Why does somebody fall into one group and not the other? Right. True confessions. I also had a career in residential elder care. Oh. And I mean, I'm well aware that depression and withdrawal are not unusual in the least. We are now coming off of almost two years of COVID, which has seriously impacted uh, many older people. What recommendations do you have for, you know, maybe boomers, maybe slightly older people who find themselves almost comfortable? Now, they don't like it, but they're almost preferring solitude because getting back out there seems like such a lot of work. Sure. Yeah, it is. And it's it's a comfortable place and it's a familiar place to stay out of that area of risk. And no matter what precautions we take and, you know, how much education, there's still that feeling of uncertainty and risk. And, yeah, we've we've learned to adapt to a more solitary, isolated lifestyle, particularly the solo agers who prior to the pandemic might have gone to a lot of the senior groups and activities. And then, you know, as the barriers went up, They found other ways to communicate, maybe online and, you know, maybe through email or whatever. So it became a very comfortable place. My thing is, uh, let's not knock that. That's important. That's, you know, that's important kind of position to take. But let's be willing to get out of that comfort zone because comfort zones are what they're called comfortable and they're predictable and they're familiar. And getting out of that comfort zone is the unfamiliar place. And maybe, you know, going out of the house or taking a cab down to the senior activity or as long as they're opening up, and I think they are opening up. So it means, you know, taking those steps again. And we have to push ourselves. You know, it's it's very easy to stay in that, that 
that low anxiety place. There's no, you know, there's no sense of threat. It's all predicted. So I call it opening new doors and let's take those little steps to get back out there because it's so, so rewarding when we can do that. I still have a couple of private companion clients and, you know, they're eternally grateful for the technology that they've had, but they really do miss their socialization. But once again, it's like, and, and you said something interesting there just in terms of perhaps it is partly the risk factor. So it's not just the energy of, you know, putting on clothes again, doing their hair, whatever, but it's also dealing with that little niggling voice at the back of the head that says I'm a high risk person because of my age. That's reality. It's still there. We can't, I don't think we should minimize that. Sure. Now we talk about mindset, but as we get older, uh, physical issues, you mentioned broken hip, broken shoulder, uh, a health issue, type two diabetes, Parkinson's, they can be setbacks, possibly huge setbacks. What are your suggestions for those people who, so they don't get dragged down into the depths with issues they define as old age and the beginning of the end? Sure. You know, a lot of it has to do with what I call how we explain this event or how we interpret this event to ourselves, whatever happens. There was a Roman philosopher, and his name is Epictetus, and his line is still so relevant. He said, we are disturbed not by events, we are disturbed by the way we explain these events to ourselves. There's a difference. So the heart attack, the fall, giving up the car keys, maybe loss of a spouse. How do we explain that event to ourselves? Is it a negative interpretation? Oh, I'm not going to manage this. As you said, this is a sign of pending doom. Or, gee, this is a tough hit. I think I can get over it. I'm going to try it. I mean, there are times when we just have to pause and, and maybe there's some grief period, you know, maybe a serious loss of a spouse or some real physical change. We can't walk anymore. We can't drive anymore. So whatever it is, there has to be that time to cope with it and adjust to it and come to grips. But then we say, what's next? And it's that interpretation. How do we perceive the event? I would often talk with patients who didn't hear from their adult children. And, you know, very often they would say, oh, they don't love me anymore. They don't care if I live or die. And, you know, it's easy to think that, but there are other explanations, right? Why they haven't called or haven't been able to come around. So it's that just that simple little pause. And how am I explaining this to myself? And that's going to color how well we cope with that, that event. So it's the, you know, it's the thinking pattern and how we perceive things around us. There's a, a, you know, the, the old, Standby is this glass half full or half empty. You know, it's it's the same glass. An eight ounce glass with four ounces of water is both half full and half empty. So how do we interpret that? And it's it sounds trite, but there is a you know there there is some real meaning to that because we can look at the same event and have different interpretations of it. I use this exercise when I do large presentations, I divide the room up into two groups and I ask the group on the right half to look around the room and find everything that's wrong with it. You know, marks on the wall, stains on the carpet, maybe plants need to be watered or maybe the fixtures aren't working. And then the group on the other side say, I want you to look around and find everything that's nice in this room. Maybe the sunshine coming in, maybe polished floors or, you know, maybe the color of the paint or whatever. And we look around for a minute and then I regroup and say, okay, tell me what you see wrong. And then the other group, tell me what you see. And the the point is, it's the same room. What are you looking for? Whatever you're looking for, you're going to find it. So if you're looking for things that are wrong or failures or disappointments, that's what you're going to see. If you're looking for positives, that's what you'll find. So I think that has a lot to do with how we explain these 
potholes, obstacles, hurdles, setbacks, whatever, whatever come along and how we explain these events, because they're always going to happen. We're always going to be hit with these problems, some big, some small. And how do we how do we cope with them? How do we explain them to ourselves? Long answer. but I No, you know, it's great because what I really appreciate about the more guests I talk to is the realization, for example, in terms of story, like, like why have the kids not called, the adult children not called? It's like for a younger person being in traffic and getting cut off, you don't know the story of the driver that just cut you off. Maybe their child's in hospital and they just, they've got to get there, you know, that sort of thing. And then the other thing that occurred to me is at our boomer, younger boomer age, whatever, or even if there's anybody younger listening, is if you recognize yourself as that glass half empty person, it might be a really good idea to start now so that if there are issues old, as you get older, uh, be they physical or whatever, hopefully you can find that way to look at a glass half full and see your way clear to some sort of resolution. You know, even if, you know, you, you can't walk anymore, you buy that candy apple red scooter, <laughs> that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. It's exactly right. We do have to monitor our thinking patterns, you know, because they can shift into the negative. They can shift into the, you know, woe is me. I'm never going to manage this. This is too many. I can't handle anymore. And we have to monitor that, that, you know, that kind of negative thinking style. And we can shift from that negative to the positive. You know, I, I found that when we're depressed, I work with a lot of older adults who are depressed. It affects us in a lot of different ways. But one thing that depression does really well is it narrows our perspective. When we're depressed, all we can see is what's wrong. All we can see is the failure, the disappointment, the lack of hope, the lack of uh, solution, the lack of positives. And it's like we're wearing blinkers, like horses are fitted with blinkers. Horses are fitted with blinkers, so they're not distracted by the what's going on around them. But for us, when we're wearing these blinkers, all we see is the negative. So I would say let's remove those blinkers. Let's see the whole picture because depression allows us to see only that smaller, very focused picture. But when we see the whole picture, we see a lot of the positives, a lot of the, the good things that are still going, a lot of the strengths that I still have, a lot of the, you know, the attributes and the skills and uh, maybe a sense of humor, maybe ability to put my makeup on or get dressed or comb my hair, whatever it is, we can still find those strengths. And that darn depression just, you know, it just gets in the way because we don't, we don't give ourselves credit for the whole picture. So it is that, that mindset and being aware of that negative thinking. And uh, that's the first step to moving beyond that, to monitoring and being aware. I think all my listeners know that I always come into these conversations with notes, just so I make sure I touch on things. Conversations can really go off into uh, la-la land. But... One thing, as you were speaking there about, you know, the blinkers and trying to take them off, do you find that if somebody could put themselves into a, a teaching mentoring position, that that really helps to sort of open the world up and see the positives? So you're, you're getting outside of yourself. So you're not just seeing your inabilities or your whatever the accident was or the health issue, but we have so much other stuff to offer. And if we can mentor someone else with our knowledge, our experience, whatever, does that help sort of open the world up again? Yeah, I think so. Once we're aware of that process, I think it's very easy to see it in other people. And, you know, if we're doing that kind of mentoring or uh, support or guiding coaching, we can spot it. And, you know, we have to be aware of whatever that expression is. Uh, doctor, heal, heal yourself. Doctors, heal thyself. So you want to be able to do it first, and then we can help others do it. But it, it does take us, it does require us to take a step back and 
look at those thinking patterns. And, you know, for example, I help people understand, you know, you have to be able to differentiate between what we can control and what we can't control, right? There's a lot of things that we cannot control in the world around us, world events, foreign policy, taxes, the weather, all of that stuff. But there are things that we can control, like our attitude, like a decision to exercise, like our judgments, like our values. These are things we can control. And those are things we can start you know, to monitor and try to polish or shape or revise. Uh, but the real key is being able to differentiate between what we can't control and what we can't control. Because once we, once we can you know, let go of those things that are out of our control, got a lot more energy to work on the other, the other half. Just yesterday, I was listening to an interview totally unrelated to anything you and I are mm. talking about right now. But what this person said is when he really starts getting down on himself, what he tries to do is take those thoughts and imagine there's a person across the room mm. with those issues. And how would he treat that person? And he'd probably say, you know, like, it's okay. Don't be so hard on yourself. Uh, you know, th this will pass. Or like, if you need help, go get help. Yeah. But we so rarely do that to ourselves of giving, of cutting ourselves a little slack. Yeah. yeah, that's a good point. That would probably work for a lot of people. You, we, we can see that pattern in others so well, and we don't, we don't see it or we don't like to see it in ourselves. You know, it's kind of getting back to that comfort zone. We're familiar with a certain way of thinking, and it's hard to, you know, hold that up for monitoring, hold that up for a possible change. So even if it's destructive or, you know, not helpful, it's, it's what we're used to. And it's tough to change, but it's certainly possible to change. I mean, we, we hear all the time, we read books, we see on our net, all about the theme of mindset and how mindset is such a controlling factor, how much it influences how we how we interact in the world, how we see ourselves, how we see others. It's all changeable. Need to start imitating my uh, little tiny grandson who does that. You're not the boss of me, <laughs> so just say it to your oh. own say it to your own brain. You you, you may yeah. operate a few systems here, but you're not the boss of me. Now, as we get older, uh, many of us get into the if onlys. You know, things mm. we wish we'd done, or sometimes what we did. Yeah. You know, it's it's a this might be an insight into me. It, the, stuff like that, it's in the past. Like what we didn't do or that did do, it's in the past. We can't change it. We've only got today and tomorrow, I guess, the future. What do you say to someone who starts way too many sentences with if only? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, it's very easy to look back and you know, see the decisions I made or the things I said or the way I interacted with a family member or a relative or a friend. It's very easy to fault ourselves for that. And, um, you know, you're right. We, we, we cannot change it. We can't, you know, retract it. But we can change our attitude about it. And we can change the way we view it and how it applies to us. A lot of the problems that we have today are because we're letting the past influence us as if the past is still going on. So whatever attitudes we had or maybe a certain interpersonal style we had years ago, we're acting as if that's still influencing us. So I like to tell people, you know, you can't change the past, as we said. And you have to understand at the time, that was probably the best thing you could do. That was probably the only thing you could do. Maybe you weren't thrilled with that decision at the time, but you have to give yourself credit because it was probably the right thing for you at that time. Maybe it, maybe it wasn't to everybody else, but to you, it was like the only thing you could do. So, you know, give yourself some slack, as you say, and understand that, you know, maybe if we start drinking or start taking drugs at the time, that was a behavior that we needed to adopt. And yeah, we can look back and say, well, that was terrible. But it was at the time a useful 
a useful behavior or something, you know, maybe something to adapt to the stresses that we're under or the pressures or the stress. It was a way to kind of cope with that. And today you probably would not make the same decision, but 10 years ago or 30 years ago, you know, and then the, if only, if only I invested in Amazon when they first came out, you know, <laughs> wow. Uh, yeah, sure. Um, yeah. You know, we can beat ourselves up over a lot of things like that, but it doesn't get us anywhere. We try to learn from those decisions we made and make the right ones today. You know, um, the Dalai Lama, who somebody who I've listened to and read a lot, he said there are two days that we cannot get anything done, yesterday and tomorrow. So all we have is today. We get things done. We can plan. We can look back. But all we have is today, and that's where we can start. When you were talking about back then when you made that decision, I remembered this person many years ago said to me that a bad decision is often because of the best available data. So Hmm. at that time, knowing what you knew with whatever was going on in your life, in hindsight, maybe it was a bad decision, but at the time it was the best available data and you made that decision. That's a good way to put it. I agree. Yeah. And, you know, there's always... The whole notion of, um, well, I had problems. I, you know, I got fired from my job all the time or I had trouble with my relationships or, you know, I got into arguments with my neighbor, whatever. There's always the possibility that today is different. And I say to people, don't let yesterday define who you are today. That's letting the past influence who you are now or your thinking or your behavior. So you can redefine yourself today any way you want. You're the author of this character. You're writing the script yourself. You can, you can write whatever character you want. Don't be stuck by the role you played yesterday. And that's a, you know, it's a simple, but it's a very powerful concept too, because uh, I remember talking to nurses about this and I would say, look, don't, you know, uh, the way you acted last week, that doesn't have anything to do with how you're going to act today, how you're going to perform your job today. So it's, uh, it's, it's liberating, but it's also a little bit anxiety arousing because I don't know who I want to be today. I don't know what character I want to play. I've had a couple of actors on my um, podcast. I've been doing podcasts for a while. And both of them talked about the same thing. You know, you, you know, you're given a script and you're given a role and you have to adopt that character. But when it's over, you're not that character anymore. You know, you can create a new character. But And I think it's the same thing in real life. We're, we're given a script and we're free to change that script. We're free. Yeah. This new character called myself. <laughs> uh-huh. That's great. Okay, I don't want to keep this entire conversation in sort of dark places. Tell me how you define successful aging. Mm. Yeah, well, that's a good one. We hear so much good information out there about living longer, living healthier. I don't know if you're familiar with the blue zones, but you know the blue zones. I, I think some great research came out of that, and they're just uh, building on that research about the centenarians. What do the centenarians do to live longer? And the blue sounds help to identify a lot of those patterns. So, yeah, diet, nutrition, um, physical activity, meaning and purpose, family relationships, network, social connections. That's all important for successful aging. But when I, when it comes to me and my thinking, I add that little qualifier because we're not all going to live to another. You know, it's not in the cards for all of us, even though our life expectancy is increasing. We're not all going to live to 100. So to me, successful aging is, even if it's not in the cards to live to 100, let's stay positive while trying. Let's cope with those setbacks and let's get over those hurdles that come along. Because 
that to me is the is the person who's aging well that they're not thrown and they're not completely incapacitated by these setbacks as serious as they are i mean look at stephen hawking you know perfect example that's you know severe physical condition that he was in and yet he thrived right so millions of people are doing that they're hit with these setbacks and they get up and they keep on moving so successful aging is yeah let's do all the right things for you know diet and fitness exercise and relationships communication purpose and meaning but let's also be aware that when we're hit with something we can get past it we can move forward i have an expression that i actually use quite a bit that i say uh, i'm going to live forever and so far so good (laughs) that's good uh, we live live young as old as possible yeah Yeah. (laughs) okay and what do we celebrate about aging that's a great topic that's a beautiful topic i love that because we're getting away from those stereotypes of you know the ageist society and frail and dependent and helpless and sick now now the person who's running the marathon in his 80s or her 80s or you know the gymnast who i i've followed and i use her uh, joanna quas is her name she was austrian she was a world gymnast into her 90s and she was still competing wow. and you know it's that now it's the i think it's the rule rather than the exception so yeah what do we celebrate we celebrate our wisdom we celebrate our compassion. We celebrate our decision making. We celebrate our ability to roll with the the punches. You know, when the pandemic started, there was a lot of research showing that seniors were able to understand, okay, this is a tough hit, but I'm not going to let it take over my life. And in many ways, they adapted better to the, you know, to the precautions and the social isolation. So it's that, you know, that attitude of, yes, terrible things can happen, but I can get through this. So it's that that uh, kind of fire and determination, you know, the maturity and the decision making. And yes, 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 I've been through that. Let's not, you know, let's not get all depressed about it. Let's not discourage. We can make it through these things. So it is that a lot to celebrate, you know, because we are living longer. And we're a lot healthier than we were for my parents, my grandparents' generation, a lot healthier. So there's a lot more time to do things. And there's time to start a new career. There's time to start new interests, take up, you know, take up some new hobbies. I've never played a musical instrument before. And I bought myself a set of electronic drums about six months ago. (laughs) And I wear a headset. So nobody else hears me and, you know, my banging away, but it's great. And I'm teaching myself to play the drum. So learning a new language. I mean, there's so many websites and um, educational sites out there for free classes. A lot of the universities and a lot of the other sites offer a lot of ways to learn. So it's that hunger for more, to learn more and to keep kind of building those new brain cells. We were finding out that it is possible to establish new traces of brain pathways through neurogenesis. Learning some new skills does allow us to build those, um, you know, new nerves in, in the brain. So that's what keeps us vibrant. And that's what keeps us, I think, positive about, you know, being alive. I don't know if I use the right terminology, but on one of my websites, I have a thing about keeping the synapses synapping. And, yeah, uh, <laughs> that's good. That works. That works. We need the synapses synapping. Yeah, we do. Yeah. yeah. Really quick story. I was walking last night with uh, my earbuds in listening to an interview, and it was with an 83-year-old man who had just recently completed the Appalachian Trail from like the complete Appalachian Trail. And apparently he's the oldest person to ever have done that. And the interviewer said, like, you're 83. Did you not just sometimes have that thought of, I just want to quit? And he very quietly said, every 
single day. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, he finished it. And, yeah, yeah, it's just that. Yeah. Age is only a number. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It doesn't say anything about what we can do or should do or should not do. It's only a number. So let's take that out of the picture, I think. Yeah. Tell us a little bit more about your Living to 100 Club. Yeah. You know, it's it allows me to kind of collect all my ideas and experiences and put them together. It's an informal place where people can get solutions to living longer. I've done a lot of podcasts. I've written a lot of blogs. I do public speaking. I do um, some coaching one-on-one with, with older adults who are, you know, struggling with some of these bounce backs how to get over the setbacks. You know, it's it's still new. It's still kind of developing. But but the club is just, a in, in, you know, it's a collection of, of followers who are interested in living longer and uh, uh, making the best out of their life. And there's no membership. There's no dues. It's just uh, sign up on the list and you'll get an announcement every week about my latest podcast. And I, do a, I do a newsletter every few weeks and bring in other topics. But it, for me, it's, um, it's creating this mindset that you know, living to 100 is a, is a great destination, but it's more than just the desk. It's more than a goal. It's the whole process of living well and living, you know, healthily and kind of engaged with, with the world around us. Now, your tagline is turning aging on its head, which I appreciate as their heads are often the first thing that our elders worry about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, You know, that just came to me as soon as I created the club. We're, we're, we're not going to look at aging the same old way. You know, let's 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 change our views of aging and turn it upside down. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Before we start to wind down. Many boomers are caregivers of their elders. Caregiving can be exhausting. It can be isolating. It can be frustrating at times. Do you have any tips for the caregivers out there? Yeah, uh, I've seen that. You're exactly right. It It is very stressful, very demanding, especially when we are not prepared for it or we're feeling helpless. I think number one is that there are a lot of resources out there, a lot of resources to help, depending on what's going on with the parents or maybe even a spouse or, you know, sibling, whatever is going on. There are a lot of resources in the community. I've just uh, become involved with an organization called Aging in Place, the National Aging in Place Council, and there's chapters around the country. And these chapters bring together different specialties to help people stay in their homes. So, you know, the adult children can say, I don't know if mom is okay living by herself. I'm really worried about her. I don't know if she's, you know, if there's proper facilities in the home to keep her safe. So there are a lot of resources out there to help people come in and evaluate. So that's number one, just to look and you'll find. Number two, uh, this is a this is a new role for us, you know, as a caregiver. You know, we always had maybe very positive, supportive relationships with the relatives, and now it's demanding, especially if the person develops some horrible disease like Alzheimer's, and you know, they're they've lost that person. The the, the patient is now somebody else, so there's that grieving that uh, now I have this. But it's also the acknowledgement that I have, I have a new role here. I, I, you know, I, not what I wanted, but that's what's in the cards. And I, you know, I have a new role and I, I'm going to have to do it. And as long as I can, and at some point, maybe I'm going to bring in help or maybe help the, the individual move to another place, senior living or assisted living or skilled nursing. So I'm going to do what I can because this isn't, this is not my, this is not my role. This is not my position. And it's tough. We don't we don't want it. We don't wish it on anybody, but that's our reality. 
So recognizing that. So getting help, recognizing this is the new role, and you know, understanding that we're limited. We there's only so much that we can do. And when there's behavior problems in the home and maybe wandering or getting lost or maybe some you know disregard for hygiene, that's when it's time to say, okay, I, I can take take a breather, but I, I think I'm gonna have to do more than that. Yeah, so caregiving, I, I think November is National Caregiving Month, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. So pay attention to the demands and the stresses. You know, and kudos, gold stars to everybody who's doing this because it's it's tough. We, we all go through that with our parents and other relatives, siblings who get old. So it's, um, it's just something that we have to grin and bear. Uh, 14 years ago, I, I did sort of change my life around so I could caregive for my mother. And yeah. I started out quite joke because I had a career in elder care, right? <laughs> It was like, oh, it's just payback time. It's not a big deal. Uh, and then as she got further into dementia, she got nastier and everything else. It was just like this deep breathing thing and uh, just going and, and explaining to my children, if this happens to me, remember that this is not your mother. This is just what's happened to her brain. <laughs> you know? yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. I tell people we are we are not our bodies. You know, and that's for somebody who's paralyzed or can't walk anymore or loses a limb from amputation. As it doesn't change who we are, our value and worth as a person. It doesn't diminish us in any way. We are not our bodies. Joe, what haven't I asked you that you want boomers to know as they launch into their 60s, 70s, 80s? Well, you know, I, I, I probably touched on it. This we all have this inner reserve of strength and determination and fire or grit or resilience, whatever we want to call it. It's always there and it gets blocked. It gets covered up. It gets whatever. It's it's just not it's always there, no matter how dark it seems, no matter how discouraged we get, we always have that that fire. And the beauty is, Agnes, and the real beauty here is that nobody can take this away from us. This belief, this, this power, this resilience, this is ours to keep forever. Not our doctor, not our spouse, not our children. Nobody can take this, this drive and this... Uh, is, I call it a fire and, and determination. Nobody can take it away. That's what helps the person get through rehab. That's what helps them get through speech therapy and physical therapy and recover from the death of a spouse after being married 50 years. These are tough, tough losses, but we can, you know, dig deep and we get in touch with that. As long as we're still able to take a breath, we can still get in touch with that fire. So that's, that's one thing. I'm glad to share. What I imagined, as you said, that was you know, living in the city with the big smokestack next door, and you get all this silt and dust and you know smoke ash down upon your gold-plated door knocker or something, um, and the gold-plated door knocker is still there. You just have to clean off all the silt to find it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. An analogy. Now, yeah. now, you mentioned resilience. I saw a Reimagine Your Resilience program on your website. Um, yes. So many older people I talk to talk about the value of resilience. What's your program about? Yeah, it's really one on one uh, coaching. Um, spend some time with people, helping them to whatever, get rid of the clutter or get rid of some of those negative um, you know, thinking patterns. And really helping them to open new doors. It's all about opening new doors. So I offer a, a single class and I off, offer not a class, but a single conversation. And then I offer a second one, which is more lengthy with six phone calls or Zoom meetings to a month every two weeks. So it's six classes and it's just helping the person to feel engaged again if they're feeling stuck or if they're feeling like they're missing out on things and whatever is holding them back. 
I want to be careful to say it's not psychotherapy, even though I am a psychologist. I'm I'm not wanting to do psychotherapy online. And uh, it's really coaching. It's really supportive, guiding, um, removing some of the blocks, some of the barriers. So it's, um, yeah, it's, it's tapping into that resilience and, you know, allowing ourselves to keep moving forward. Listeners know that we can see each other here on Zoom. And uh, it's, as you explained that, all I see is this man who looks kind and you can, you're obviously smart, knowledgeable. um, And I just think, boy, you're you're probably the perfect person to do this face-to-face one-on-one thing. So uh, that's great that you've, you've put that together. You also have a podcast. I love podcasts. (laughs) Talk about your podcast. Oh, I love the podcast. Uh, I started out doing live radio shows on Voice America. I did that for about a year, and it was great. You know, they, they helped with the uh, programming and scheduling and then the distribution. It was worldwide. These these conversations went worldwide. And then uh, after about a year, I decided to just do it on my own, and I've, I've done uh, another 50 or 60. So I've done about 120 conversations. And it's, um, you know, I record and do the editing and put it up on my podcast. I, I just love it. I just I just love the conversations. <laughs> you know, if you, you've done this a while, you, you, you can appreciate that. It's, it's talking to so many people. And for me, I don't see any boundaries. When I talk about living to 100, it's wide open. I'm not talking about child development or, you know, academic performance, really. But I'm talking about you know, stress and management on, um, you know, difficult times and staying positive and diet and, you know, mental attitude. So I, I had a physician on a couple of weeks ago. He's a cardiac surgeon. Um, he does coronary bypass surgeries all week long. And his book is Stay Off My Operating Table. And it's all about giving people the information that they need to make some changes in their life because he said we have we have that knowledge we have it at our fingertips we need to understand it and make some changes we need to uh, it's hard to change behavior but Philip Ovedia is the the surgeon and I think it's a great book and we had a great conversation about you know what we need to do and it's it's all out there for us so I had psychologists I've had attorneys on have people talking about exploiting seniors and, you know, just great conversations. Yeah. Yeah. And they're all available on the website. If you go to website, living to 100.club, click on podcasts and they're all there. It's all uploaded. Going back to the beginning. Yeah. You're talking about the cardiac surgeon. Uh, There's, I'm in Western Canada and there's a cardiac surgeon, I believe in Alberta that twice in the last year or so he first of all he was out hiking with his wife the second time he was out driving somewhere with his wife and people collapse in front of him he uh. he has done cpr say revived them saved their lives only to go into work next day gown up and find that person on his table for heart oh. surgery wow. <laughs> so apparently that wow. doesn't happen too often but i'm sure he says stay off my operating table too <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah i'm sure he's glad he's out there on the trail well too. i'm sure a lot of people are glad he's out there <laughs> uh, <of course>. <laughs> <laughs> i'm gonna have a heart attack i want to be on the trail in front of him yeah. oh, dear. Yeah, so, there's so much good information out there we really have to you know seriously look at what i need to you know, change and, you know, change my behavior and change my outlook and keep moving forward. We, we've got to get unstuck. Okay. Personal question, perhaps. Uh, I know my podcast guests all have great suggestions on health, movement, moving forward, positive mindset. I often finish an interview thinking, oh, I should add that in mm. with varying degrees of success, of course. Your background yeah. is more professional than mine, but do you ever have yeah. guests that make you think, hmm, I need to look into that a little bit more? Sure do, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're always talking about that. I had a woman on who was talking about relieving um, old memories, unpleasant, you know, difficult memories, and she talked about a tapping technique that 
you know, has been refined and basically it's dealing with the different meridians in the head and shoulder and chest and uh, how when you're tapping in the right places, you can relieve, release a lot of these tensions. And she did an actual, you know, demonstration <laughs> on the podcast. So it was like, well, this was good for my listeners. I'm really glad they have a chance to listen to this and maybe pick up some, some extra insights. Yeah. Yeah, so there's great information. Yeah. Yeah. I'm at on a more personal level. It's things I need to be doing myself. <laughs> oh, yeah. But, uh, yeah. No, I love the book by Twyla Tharp. Um, she's that dancer, dancer, choreographer. And her thing is all nonstop engagement. You, you just got to stay busy. And that's why yeah, I say, look, if you need to retire, great. But if you can continue working in some way, that's even better. So we got to stay engaged. Engagement and contribution. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. You mentioned your website. Yes. Please repeat it. Living2100.club, not .com, not .org, but living2100.club. Go to the website, sign up for our mailing list, and you can download a document, a PDF. It's called My Nine Tips to Successful Aging and Making Over the Hurdles. It's free. Um, you can see my book on my website under resources. I have a book called Living Longer is the New Normal. It's a short, quick read and talks a lot about what we discussed today. I, you know, I just um, want to keep trying to sharing my information with people who are, you know, open to hearing it. Yeah. Excellent. Okay. I always put uh, the links to websites, et cetera, in the show notes. So I will do that. Great. And listeners, I really do recommend you click those links. You can learn more about Joe and the Living to 100 Club and both his blog page and his podcast are there. I think you mentioned that. If you have comments on today's episode, leave them where you're listening or at twoboomerwomen.com forward slash join dash the dash conversation. Feel free to leave stars. They add credibility and help us grow. Before you go today, click the subscribe or follow button and you'll never miss another episode or another awesome guest. If you'd like to be a guest on podcast or know someone who'd make a great guest, there's an application form at the website too. Uh, today, remember, is Monthly Man Day, where I interview a man with a message for boomers. Today, Dr. Joe Kashiani, thank you so much for being my guest on the Two Boomer Women podcast. Well, you're most welcome, Agnes. Thank you for the invitation. I really enjoyed this conversation. I love talking to seniors and 50 plus age group. Um, you know, just um, I learn a lot when I when I share my ideas and I'm always learning. So great. Kudos to you for this podcast. These are important vehicles. Yeah. And thank you for yours. I listened to several episodes. So. Have a great rest of the week. Thanks very much.